Good day, everybody, and uh, it's good to be back with you in these audio Bible studies. Um, thank you so much to Errol Gray and the team for continuing the Bible studies while I was away on my sabbatical. Um, I've come back after a good time of rest, um, but also just wanted to extend my gratitude to the team uh, for stepping in for me while um, I was away, so from the sermons to the Bible studies to posting these things on our group, uh, I'm most grateful for the body of Christ and for us all working together. So yes, as we get back into our weekly routine, or as I get back into my weekly routine, um, I want to take us to a passage from the book of Kings, from 1 Kings, and uh, what I've done for this week is just have a look at uh, one of the passages from our lectionary, the Revised Common Lectionary, that uh, we don't get to look at on a Sunday. I think, as you know, um, our lectionary normally has four readings, and uh, often as preachers we focus on one or two um, just for the sake of time, um, but there are other ones that I guess are equally as interesting and, and we can reflect on. So today um, the Bible study will come from 1 Kings chapter 3, and it's um, this lovely moment where, where Solomon encounters God in a dream. And uh, he, he gets to, to have one request. And we'll see now in the reading what he asks from God. So if you are um, the kind of person who likes to take notes, I invite you to get your notebook out uh, or your journal, get your Bible out. I think I'm going to be using mainly the New International Version and a little bit of the New Living Translation today. Um, and then let's have a look at this. But let's pause for a prayer. So, Lord God, we offer you this time. Uh, thank you for your truth to us revealed through the sacred scriptures. We ask, Lord God, that as we encounter the story of Solomon um, in this passage from 1 Kings 3, that you would allow this story to become part of our own lives, that we would learn something and it also would give us something else to hold on to as we walk in your ways and seek to follow you. So we offer you this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So 1 Kings chapter 3, I'll start from verse 1. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the passage and just stop at a few places. Um, so I won't read it all and then, um, and then kind of repeat that. So verse 1, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. So we are just given a little bit of context in chapter 3 as to what's happening. Obviously, um, if you have the time, please go and read chapters 1 and 2. Um, that will even create a, a bigger context of, of what is happening. Um, depending on which uh, Bible commentaries or, or notes that you read, you will find that this whole incident or this uh, recording of events happening in 1 Kings um, happens quite a long time um, before the New Testament. Um, so we're talking about hundreds of years um, before Jesus was even born. Um, but we see in verse 1 here that Solomon is making an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying his daughter. And that was very common in, in those times. 
um, just try to solidify your political power and the authority that you had. So he brings her to the city of David, and the temple is being built and the wall around Jerusalem. Verse 2 says, The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Now we know uh, in a broader spectrum that Solomon is the one who finished the temple of the Lord, the glorious temple. Um, so they were still being built, also just adds into the context of the time frame. So what people were doing is they were worshipping in the high places. Now you can dig around a little bit yourself um, in that, but essentially the high places were um, sh shrines or altars that were built up on the hillsides um, around the city, so in this case around Jerusalem. But many of the uh, the pagan cultures, the Canaanites, for example, um, were were going up the mountains to make their sacrifices and to worship their gods. So what often happened is when other faiths came or came into power, they would take over. They would adopt those places of worship and then just worship to their God in those old places. So some of those altars or stones or shrines that were built could have had different faiths worshiping at them for hundreds or thousands of years. So what was happening is the Israelites were doing that. Now, the, the high places themselves um, also brought in a little bit of um, shall we say controversy because of the fact that they were used by other faiths and um, yeah, uh, other, other styles of worship were, were being mixed in with the worship of God. So we know that this became a problem for the Israelites um, in that time. But this is just giving you an idea of what that whole phrase, the high places, means. Verse 3, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given to him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. So there you have, um, in the words of the author of 1 Kings 3, uh, verse 3, that, that Solomon followed David's instructions, but there was this issue about worshipping and sacrificing at the high places that was contentious. Verse 4, the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Now, we're not sure if, if this is talking about a thousand offerings in one day, but more than likely it's talking about the length of time. So Solomon, it wasn't a once-off thing, but this became a, a, a ritual, a, a habit, a routine for him that he offered these burnt offerings on the altar. And and we're assuming here, but it. It, Solomon's worship on the on the high places was to Yahweh, was to God. It's just that it wasn't in the temple. Um, it was in this high place that was causing this contention. So even though he was doing that, God still encounters him. And we always remember that God can see into the heart of, of every one of us. So verse 5 says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. So that that wonderful question, um, and I wrote that in one of my blogs this week. Is you know if you were asked by the Lord, you know you can have anything you want. I'll give you one wish. You know what would it be? So in the dream, God says to Solomon, you know, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Verse six. Solomon answered him, "You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David." Because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. 
You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. So Solomon speaking about himself, um, that he came to, to power. Verse 7, Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. So just pause there and look at that phrase, little child. I think that's from the NIV. Um, if you have a different version of the scriptures or different translation, it may say something else. Um, the New Living Translation says exactly the same thing, little child. But we, we do a bit of research into this and see that Solomon was actually not the eldest son of David. That's important. And, and one could go back, like I say, chapter 1, chapter 2, and you will see that there's a very intriguing story taking place here because um, it is actually Bathsheba who goes to King David and says to him, listen, one of your other sons has kind of made himself the, uh, the king. Um, but you had promised me that Solomon was going to be king. So Nathan gets involved, and um, there's this whole moment of intrigue in this. But Solomon, as the youngest son, or, or certainly as one of the younger sons, has now been made king by David himself. Uh, and the priests have all kind of legitimized that and so on. But there's there's also in the heart of Solomon an understanding that that he is – um, a little child, so he's not experienced. Um, this this phrase, I think, in in many ways denotes um, a little bit of humility. That that he recognizes. Listen, I, I still have a lot to learn. Now he says this to God in the dream. What was Solomon's age at this time? Um, again, you will find varying things, but certainly. Um, at the most in his early 20s, may have been a teenage, late teenager, um, but we, we're talking about young. Let's just say around about 20, 20 years of, of age. Um, he says in verse 8, Your servant is here among the people that you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? And so here we have this moment where instead of asking God for wealth and maybe for another 20 wishes, he says to, to God, listen, uh, I need an understanding heart. I need discernment. Uh, I need wisdom. One of the other ways of putting it is I need an understanding mind because these people that you've asked me to govern are complex um, and so this is what I really, really would like. Um, it's going to be hard to govern them. And so would you give me this wisdom and understanding and discernment? And then I feel that I would be able to be a good king. Now, it's interesting if you look, look at James chapter 1, James chapter 1 verse 5, James actually speaks to the, the church and he says this. I'm just going to turn there quickly now so you'll be able to see it. Well, not see it, but listen to it. If you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him and he will gladly tell you. He will not resent your asking. So even in the New Testament, we can see that not just Solomon, but we ourselves can ask God for wisdom to give us discernment, to help us in, in making decisions. So I think that's also a reassuring 
um, thing for us that not just wise kings or great kings can ask, but we too can ask for wisdom. Verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Now that comment, verse 12, um, it, it's remarkable in a way when you think about reading this like we do now in the year 2023. Because even in secular circles, but certainly in church circles and religious circles, you will hear the phrase, um, wow, that person is wise, he or she has got the wisdom of Solomon. So Solomon's name, and certainly in association with wisdom, has lived on for thousands of years. So God has kind of kept his end of the bargain by saying here, there will never be anyone like you or will there ever be. And that's in terms of, of wisdom. Verse 13, moreover, sorry, yeah, moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. Now that also is true, that in terms of the wealth and what he had, he had um, just yeah, almost an obscene amount of wealth if you look back at, at, at what is recorded in that time. So God, in the dream, answers Solomon by saying, listen, I see into your heart. You've not asked for the material things. You've not even asked for the, the downfall of your enemies. You've asked for something that is good. And so I can see into your heart, and so therefore I will reward you with other things. Um, and that's also, I think, there's a, there's a principle in that for us to, to wrestle with. Verse 14, and if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life, which also seems to have been true. we um, not 100% sure of all these, these dates and facts, but um, it is believed that Solomon lived for a long, long time. Verse 15, then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. So he returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and then he gave a feast for all of his court. Um, I haven't had the time to, to double-check this, but maybe it's worth looking in, into this, the significance of how he, when he returns to Jerusalem, uh, so he's returned now from Gibeon, and then he goes to the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. So it's that that place where the Ten Commandments was kept, uh, almost like the the holiest of places before the temple itself was built. And he goes there to the heart of their association with God and he makes his offering and his sacrifice there and, and celebrates. Um, so we, we could almost see this difference in his attitude towards God and, and worship. Um, one of the commentaries said this, and I want to quote it. I think it's beautiful. It said, we must note that Solomon didn't ask God to do the job for him, but rather he asked for God's help in doing what God had been asking him or what God had called him to do. And I think that's helpful. So God has called you and he's called myself to do various things in the body of Christ for God, for the kingdom of God. And so we have every right and privilege to ask God to help us in doing that. Um, we, we sometimes can say, okay, well, God, well, you know, you do it. It's, it's, it's your job. 
But there's also an understanding that we can say, Lord, I accept the calling you've given to me, but please, would you help me in doing that? There's a, there's a difference. Um, and I think that's profound. Remember Matthew 6, verse 33 to 34. Um, it's this end of a passage where Jesus is teaching about worry and the future and he says you know seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you now that passage came to my mind when I was thinking about Solomon um, obviously before Jesus but his relationship with God was such that he thought you know let me seek first the kingdom of God let me seek first to ask for wisdom so that I am able to rule the people of God with wisdom and discernment. And then what happened is God in his great blessing gave him the wealth and the prestige and the honor and everything else as a bonus. And I think that's something to, to take note of. Now, the next section, I'm not going to read the whole of it, but from verse 16 to verse 28 is recorded for us in 1 Kings 3. Um, very, very well-known story. We probably have heard it at Sunday school and sermons about this, where these two women, um, some versions call them prostitutes, but they, they come to the king and they stand before him and um, they both have had children at the same time, but the one woman um, loses her baby, the, the child dies in the night. And so they're both standing before the king. One, they're both claiming that the child that is alive is theirs. And this is the great, you know, moment where Solomon asks for his sword and he threatens to cut the child in half and give half to the to the one woman and half to the other. Um, and then the story plays out that the one who who actually lost, um, you know, lost her child was was trying to deceive Solomon. Um, and the woman whose child was alive but didn't want to see this child cut in two actually relented and said, no, well, look, as long as he's alive, give, give him to the other lady. And then Solomon realized in this moment of discernment and wisdom that she was the real mother of the child. You, 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 can, you can read that. Um, but, but listen to, to what 28 says, verse 28. When all Israel heard the verdict that the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. So more than likely, this incident happens when Solomon is still very young, still in his own mind like a little child. And we see this story as an answer, God's answer to Solomon's prayer. This is the action, the playing out, if you like, where, where the theory has now become in practice and Solomon caught up in this really, really, I think, uh, troublesome moment, hectic moment where he's got to discern, you know, which woman is telling the truth and which is lying and there's a child's life at stake. God grants him wisdom and he makes this, this choice. So uh, I like the way it's included in this chapter so we can see that it's not just a theoretical asking for something, but that, that God answers his prayer and Solomon delivers this, this wise verdict, and his name is then passed out uh, even in, in wider circles in the world around him. So, friends, that's 1 Kings chapter 3. Just a brief overview. I pray 
that there's there's been something of interest there for you and that we can wrestle with a few of these thoughts. Um, some of you may be wondering about the stories of um, the travels that I had uh, the privilege of being involved in and certainly going on the Camino on a pilgrimage um, in Spain on the Camino. And and I will be filling you in on, on a few things in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, I'm hoping to be able to do a presentation at the church for us and anybody who's around and wants to be part of that can come and we can just share stories and listen to that. Um, but I'll keep you informed about that. But thank you for your prayers um, in returning safely. We are grateful for that. But uh, I pray that God would bless you as you continue in the week ahead. So God bless you. We'll chat to you soon. Amen.